0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a group director of Experience Strategy at VML Y&R and your host for the show. Thanks for taking a listen. No question, the last couple of years have been among, if not the most challenging of our lifetimes, and even as more businesses open their physical doors, employees return to work, and there's at least a small taste of normalcy, brands and leaders have found it challenging to adapt supply chain issues, staffing shortages, and inflation, it's no surprise that when Forrester recently released its 2022 CX index, it showed that overall CX quality has declined year over year in 13 industries. So what to do about it, and how can leaders reverse this trend? Our guests today will help discuss just that. Super excited to welcome in VML Chief Strategy Officer, Ben Gahab and Executive Director of Technology, Martin Cody. Fellas, thanks for joining us. Before we dive into everything today, let's do a quick round of
1: intros. Martin, why don't you lead us off? Thanks, Nick. Uh, Great to be here. Uh, I've actually been with VML for 16 years this month. Uh, I've always focused on helping clients uh, maximize investments in technology to achieve business goals through making people, tech solutions, and vendors work better together. And as you mentioned, the growing scope of CX and complexity has made the need for technology to work for you and your customers and not against them, more important than ever.
2: Awesome. Ben, how about you? Hey, Nick, thanks for having me. Uh, so Ben Gaheb, I uh, help lead strategically our uh, WPP Ford workswells as well as the global lead for experience strategy. and. Uh, been with vML inr for uh, just over five years now and probably similar to Martin you know I think for me often wrestling with what does it mean to unlock you know unforeseen growth with organizations through you know experiences how do we re-architect and, and rethink about our existing uh, ecosystems and really map that in a way that you know customers can really see the world and realize you know business impact customer impact through through new ways so Um, You know, the topic of the day is super topical for us.
0: Very excited to have you both. Thanks for spending the time with us. Ben, you and Martin were hanging out in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, uh, back at the Forrester uh, North American CX Summit, perhaps including the quality score declines I referenced off the top. What were some of the big themes you were hearing while you were down there?
2: Yeah, it's um, you know it was interesting. I think out of the get-go, um, one of the keynote speakers had said, "While this doesn't seem big, and I, I probably will get the exact number wrong, there was about a, a 0.8 decrease in the average uh, average score." And and you know as we go, as you kind of alluded, it's it's big money, um, and in that, and when you think about every point, saying automotive automotive is a billion dollars, uh, it's such a significant impact that it can lead to um, you know how do we really rethink this and, and really reevaluate our approach to, to CX. So for us, what underpinned that was a lot of the ways in which um, you know we think about evolving customer ex- expectations. So we often talk about that more in finances of this expectations mm-hmm. treadmill. and that, that manifest that's manifesting more than ever in terms of CX scores every day, the expectations for seamlessness, for innovation, for easy, intuitive, is going up. Yet it's hard for companies to, uh, you know, to continue to evolve at the pace that people's expectations. So that alone pretty much summarizes. If we do nothing, or if we keep the same pace we are today, chances are we're falling behind. And uh, I, you know, it's starting to show up. And I think similar to some of the thoughts that went uh, were flagged by Forrester a couple of years ago you know, those experiences are being swamped too with a sea of sameness, Uh, you know, a bit of competitive catch up. Uh, And so if you look across airline industries, if you look across hotel chains, if you look across automotive, the experiences kind of look the same. Cover the brand up, get rid of colors, add add grayscale, and you kind (laughs) of have the same thing. And, uh, you know, there's only so much functionality you can really tweak before you really have to, you know, tap into much more of the emotional area. Um, And that is, tricky. And chances are right now, you know, we're plateauing in the way that we think about some of those functional capabilities. And with consumer expectation increasing, we're starting to see that stagnation and in this case, even even in decline of relative scores.
0: Martin, we talk a lot about uncovering human needs and tapping into emotional jobs when delivering these experiences, perhaps Few bigger macro-emotional jobs these days than trustworthiness. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, some of the things that that Ben was referencing in in one of the report outs of the the CX Index this year. They talk about, despite all the, the craziness and some of the coasting that's been going on, customer trust is actually up by comparison in a, to, to previous years in a lot of industries, which is super interesting, considering the dip we've seen in the other numbers. But but tell us about how you see that trust piece as both an imperative and a challenge in today's landscape.
1: Sure. Um- People almost always say they want companies and brands to play a bigger, broader role in people's lives. In her opening keynote, uh, Anjali Lai framed this as companies as part of an open system that shapes and is shaped by social realities. Marketing and CX make brands among the most powerful orienting institutions to it. Ultimately, they are the actors of change. And I do think it's inevitable that this is true to some degree, simply based on the role we as people play on both sides of this, as employees and as consumers. And there were a lot of presentations unpacking the both myth and reality around this topic. They discussed how positions around purpose impact the brand, but also more fundamentally, simply, how can they present their own truth since we're now divided by facts themselves, not just principles, they're literal wars about truth. And this is clearly needed to build trustworthiness for marketing to have the impact and the desired effect. Uh, Kelsey Chickering's presentation on targeting truth in the misinformation age discussed her research and found three things that I thought were really interesting. Half of USB to c marketers say their brand inadvertently appeared alongside misinformation. Mm-hmm. Half of consumers believe brands know exactly which websites their ads appear on. I think we all agree they don't. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, almost 60% of consumers don't trust brands that advertise on sites that distribute misinformation. So this is clearly a problem. Uh, She outlined a proactive approach to brand safety, to improve brand trust. A lot is just paying attention to who you're partnering with so you aren't judged or impacted by their issues. Uh, I came to a similar set of recommendations in an article I wrote for AdExchanger about not outsourcing your ethics when it comes to reliance on big tech. So there are these issues in just trying to communicate and engage, but there's even a potentially bigger issue when you talk about, what are you going to say or not say? And what are you going to stand for or against? And Mike Pru in another really provocative keynote talked about how division defines the decade and brands are now part of today's culture war whether we like it or not. You simply can't be everything to everyone. So there'll be consequences that you need to deal with. Uh, and so you can't avoid it. You have to come up with a plan. And he gave some good advice. And it really was first and foremost, how do you be true to the core constituents, both internal and external in your organization, Because brand values matter to these base constituents more than anyone else. And if you listen to them and understand what they think of as the small stuff, you think is the small stuff is really the big stuff to them. Mm-hmm. And whether that's fixing a friction point in an experience or contributing to helping fix a cultural challenge, these are the actions that will retain and build trust with the customers that matter most to your business. And Forrester really emphasizes that these are simply better customers. They buy more, they're more forgiving, they're your future advocates, so you should be able to do that uh, as the focal point. And I think the one thing they left with was saying, you have to shift your focus away from traditional marketing to more like community organizing. It's a co-creation process Mm -hmm. and really think of them as constituents, not consumers. So they're not saying what purpose a brand should have, but the idea that you do need to take an action
0: what i think is interesting about that too is the idea of of constituency and the role that purpose and ethics ties almost directly to authenticity and, and you hear about this time and time again when you look at brands who who try to as uh one of our previous guests jen bonham talked about greenwash and say they're doing something of value say they're they're taking a stand on something but really it's it's all window dressing and and you know just trying to keep up with the Joneses, even on just a, an optical front. How much do you think in terms of the brand purpose and ethics, or how, how did you hear this down in Nashville uh, about not only, you know, talking the talk about purpose and ethics, but also walking the walk?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, because there, there is some counterbalancing research that says – On the other hand, that people are saying companies' values matter, but when they're asked to purchasing decisions, it disagrees. However, there's also research saying that for younger generations, that's changing. And you really can't expect that from customers and employees. So you can sort of push this off and maybe get away with some of that behavior, but it's catching up with you. This research shows that the purpose in brand ethics is really becoming a commercial variable to that younger cohort of consumers and employees. So in addition to any moral obligation or benefits you may get, successful brands and companies need to address this. It's simply better for their bottom line to come forward and actually figure out how to make this part of who they are. And that was the focus on the constituents. Make those core values that you have as a brand that your core customers that are your best customers have. Otherwise you run the risk of basically being uh, the stakes are so much higher, mm-hmm. Anjali closed her keynote with the the, the half of the fortune five hundred companies since two thousand have disappeared. That's so wild. like, you you have to come up with a plan for this and it's each one of those things is contributing to that. So it's one of those where you might say I can get away with a piece of it but ultimately this idea of authenticity for employees and for consumers especially as the younger generations come up Forrester simply was saying you can't avoid it and that was the conversation we had so you have to come in and attack it and I think the approach we're taking to CX gives us some of the tools to understand people and understand employees better and puts us in a place to actually be able to make this an advantage, not a disadvantage.
0: Yeah, it underpins the need to to draw out really, really tight personas and understanding customer needs at a really granular level. Uh, otherwise, you really are just just grasping at straws. I want to touch on the employee experience, Martin, in a minute. But Ben, first, I want to talk about something you had said around you know digital experience coasting or just the plateauing of expectations, or I shouldn't say the expectations piece, plateauing of of experiences as customer expectations rise. By now, everyone knows the seismic impact that COVID has had on on customer expectations and, and the digital experiences that, uh, for the last couple of years, have really underpinned them, how they engage with brands when everything else was shut down in their lives. But now that we're seeing foot traffic rebounding, Ben, how should CX leaders think about the relationship between digital and physical experiences?
2: Yeah, what was interesting, and and Martin had touched on a a few really interesting perspectives coming out of the conference, Uh, Anjali also had mentioned a a term called digital fluidity. And I think what was unique around this is that kind of pre-COVID, there was always this view that you know, eventually things were starting to get integrated and no doubt everybody's like, you know, pick your favorite stat, whether it be five years or seven years or 10 or 30, the acceleration that COVID has had around the digitization of many of our processes had everybody then saying like, we're never going back, you know, Mm -hmm. brick and mortar is gone. Like everything's gonna go digital. Why go into a store relative to the convenience of coming as your home? And then what it was interesting is there was a lot of emotion of like, now I'm somewhat isolated. You know, we had a lot of pented up energy, you know, call it therapy shopping or retail <laughs> or escape or whatever. But right, there's, there's you know, proven right now is there's a lot of energy around, you know, people getting out back into the world, you know, exploring. And what what we're finding more and more, uh, well, I don't have the, the data right in front of me, is that, you know, Nick, you had said it in the lead here, you know, foot traffic's up. I think if you look relative to pre-COVID, I think it's higher than it was, you know, then. And so, you know, we're starting to look the this myth around, you know, we're not going back. We're definitely not going back. But I think the key point that was made is that we have a new future that is defined by digital and physical. And it doesn't mean that digital is a replacement of physical, and we talk about this a lot within CX. We're like, digital tools should not be replacing people. Right, they supplement and scale, and I think that's probably the most appropriate way to think about this in terms of an overall customer experience, whether it's digital or physical. It's just, you know, frankly, the fluidity from shopping and doing research. I mean, heck, everything starts unless you're buying a candy bar. Everything starts from from Google in the search bar, and you know you're researching both in owned and unowned properties, and and before you know it, you go in, and and probably the worst thing that some brands can do is miss the way of which. Uh, you know, somebody steps in a retail store and before they know it, they got, you know, they just distracted and went off into uh, the shiny sale item next to the, the actual thing that they went research to buy. It's just because it was a little, you know, fancy sign or anything like that. So, you know, I think for me, as I think about um, the impact here and what they talked about of digital fluidity is frankly thinking, rethinking that chasm, intentionally saying, how do I bring the nature of physical and digital together to be overly complementary, And the brands and businesses that, that will win are gonna successfully bring that together. They're gonna bring digital into the store to amplify the experience. Mm-hmm. They're gonna harness and know the fact that people have access to information. It's not a bad thing that people look things up in the store. They, they're going to you mm-hmm. know, embrace the reality that they're connected and that they have access to information and knowledge, make it part of that experience and better. And if they're on pure digital, let's bring the store experience and unique brands to it so we just don't compete on just delivery. You know, you still can create a very unique experience in either way by really embracing the fluidity.
0: Yeah, and it's not binary anymore. And and even when we were getting into the world where omni-channel was the big buzzword, although I think it still is in a lot of ways, it goes beyond just having the presence and even connecting the channels. It's really you know, leveraging the 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 positives of both experiences. And I think of uh, of late, just an experience that I just went through uh, that didn't wow me, but as, as you go back to the idea of perception of, well, this is now just table stakes, the idea of, of curbside or uh, picking up your coffee, even Starbucks have been doing it even pre-pandemic, but the idea that it's it's not just about the digital experience of being able to say, yep, I want this, this piece of inventory, it's in stock, I can have it, literally brought to my car went to the experience of and I'm not going to mention the retailer but went to the store had the very table stakes idea of yep it's in stock I can have it picked up curbside I show up at the store um, and the app isn't working or the in this case in my case the app wasn't working but when I finally got it to work I was waiting for a physical human to actually come through and finalize that transaction by bringing me the product from the store. And so it's a good segue into the employee experience piece that we'll go to next. But I, I think it's really interesting when you talk about the breakpoints and the perception of these breakpoints. It's very, very aware, apparent, I should say, when something is not working like it should. And I, maybe you know, years ago, pre-pandemic, when people hadn't experienced curbside before, maybe I'm just the nerd of the group, um, being able to have said, wow, that wasn't as convenient as, you know, name another retailer that has it and does it well. And it comes back to Martin's point on technology and being able to to literally pull together the strings of physical and digital, because without each other working co- cohesively, the whole thing breaks. Which I think is a is a really interesting uh, thing for brand leaders to to really consider. We talk about even at the foundational level, platform wise, technology wise, you can build a, a great front end and even. as as Jeff Gahab would say, you know, make the promise, but if you can't deliver on the promise, then it it really doesn't matter. And from the sounds of it, Martin, uh, segueing to the employee experience aspect, that was a big focus uh, of this year's uh, summit and building a future fit organization around that idea of, of employee experience. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, over the last few years, we've really accelerated our adoption of new technology to deliver experiences and shift our working model rather than just inventing new things. And I think that's important because this level of change isn't done. It's ongoing and we need to view it that way to keep adapting and adopting. Uh, Katie Tynan's keynote introduced many of the employee experience topics that were explored throughout. Essentially, EX is joining CX as a priority. The employee journey is becoming as important as the customer journey since more and more they are responsible for CX either directly or indirectly. And as CX demands increase, employees will continue to play a more proactive, hands-on role in bringing those experiences to life. And if employees are going to be more responsible for CX in general, the tools and data, once limited to IT or marketing, will begin to be spread throughout the organization to support this shift. But it's not going to look the way they do today. Trends are leaning more towards low code and no code and a focus on collaborative interfaces rather than multiple dedicated uh, products. And we should be thinking about deploying this technology to make their lives better, not treating them as like a cog in a machine who has to work the way the software works. But employees will need to embrace this technology and companies will need to create a culture that nurtures and grows this or they will both fall behind others who are gaining competitive advantage from the technology that makes them more productive individually and collectively but to know how to strategize and plan for all of this the big takeaway is you'll need to expand programs and technology to learn about employees the same way that we're making investments and expanding and and expanding our approach to learning about clients as part of our cx programs but i think really one of the biggest things about ex is it brings us full circle back to the purpose discussion we had Because as more employees come from younger generations, their prioritization of the importance of purpose will further impact how companies operate. This growing reliance on tech described above can really counteract the goals of inclusivity, and it can create both internal and external issues. So you really need to look at how you're approaching employees and how you're able to get people from different backgrounds and not let technology limit what resources are being deployed in your organization. And as those employees are looking for authenticity, we really need to make sure that any minor issues that they're having as employees could end up impacting how they're representing the brand of customers. So overall, I think the effort around purpose leads to taking a more stakeholder view that goes beyond just economic value and really focuses on customers and employees. And the research seems to support that operating way. So in essence, acting more ethically will bring more economic value. So The bottom line is you can't ignore these topics.
0: And as we think about resources too, I I think it's interesting when you talk about tools and technology and, and all of that, because it's important, yes, to do all the things you just pointed out, but I think in addition to understanding the human need comes with, as a business, as a brand, marketing leaders, CX leaders, giving their people the right training, but then also the right autonomy to make decisions so that Yes, they might have the right tools that arms them with the right data to understand customers, but then in some cases, giving them the power, if you will, to when they see something that's not right, to be able to make it right without feeling like they're breaking process or protocol, because I imagine not everything is going to go right by the machine, even if the technology is perfect
1: that's a real cultural change, right? That's really that idea of enabling to say, you're not deploying technology and employees, they're working together. And that empowerment part truly is going to be a shift. And I think, again, getting that human insight to why you're doing it and why they're motivated to try to fix the problem is the key. If you fix that at the upfront, sort of, you know, then when it comes downstream and they're faced with something, they'll be ready to do it. But, you know, that requires a lot of planning and investment. And that's where I think that idea of gathering the data and creating a feedback loop around employees along with deploying the technology is really the only way that you're going to be successful.
0: Love it. Love it. Before we wrap up, uh, I know you guys were in Nashville, which is one of the greatest cities in the country. So to be able to do that in person in Nashville had to have been incredible. And every show, uh, for those that have been listening to the show a long time, know we kind of end the show with some fun facts. But instead of doing fun facts today, I had heard through the grapevine that you had an interesting experience involving an Uber. And in Nashville, I don't even know if I want to go down this road, but I will. Tell us what happened, Ben, in your experiences with Uber.
2: Oh, geez. Uh, that's a, a dangerous lead in there, Nick, particularly relative <laughs> to what could happen in Nashville. But uh, uh, anyway, we we definitely had, I think, one, um, you know, a ride for the the memory book, uh, at, at least Um you know, in this regard, we had a great opportunity with our partners um, from Tennessee Tourism to meet them downtown and and had a, a an amazing night. And as we were uh, returning, and this is, you know, Martin, um, Kathy Staples, myself, uh, you know, had a great uh, chance as we stepped into our Uber to answer what was uh, an amazing question within the first, I don't know, 10 seconds of joining, which was, <laughs> did we want this ride to have... Uh, carpool Karaoke, or <laughs> astrology, and so as one chooses, we should definitely go down the path of astrology. And wow. so uh, <laughs> we dug in. Um, we dug in there while I would say, you know, Spotify's top fifty was playing as we also had neon lights at our feet and around us in a given time. Um, and really went down into the depths of astrology, learning, you know, between our birthdays and and uh, at what time we were born and how that then has uh, really impacted our lives, our personalities. And and while I would say between myself uh, and Kathy, we got to understand ourselves better. Martin, in particular, was pushed a little harder to really evaluate, you know, his life choices. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so what, it what was, does that mean?
1: <laughs> <sort> <laughs> I, I I was exposed that I was just like him and needed to learn some very fundamental lessons about saying no and learning to, to <laughs> learning to to be true to myself and to let go of some things that were holding me back uh, we were a little bit wondering about where the phase of the moon was we had to go explore that Ben helped us understand that we needed to look up our moon location in order to truly <laughs> validate this but uh, but uh, no, I was I was held even after we landed to get a few more words of wisdom. So this was uh, and that was on his dime. You know, we'd already turned off the meter. This was I was going to ask you about just that.
0: You, you didn't have to like, you know, sometimes they have those Lyft XLs or the Uber Blacks or whatever. You don't have to select a special setting to get this. This just came as part of the the cost of admission, huh?
2: Exactly. So it was Absolutely. It was uh, a wonderful time and anyway, something that I think we will
1: definitely remember <laughs> and appreciate we could share with all of you. It was an experience, right, at the Experience Conference. There you go. I
0: guess if there's a way to kind of wrap the show, that's a perfect way to talk about uh, some experiences while learning about experience. Guys, thanks so much for being with us on the show and uh, all the help and insight you gave while you were down there in Nashville. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Thanks. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about our CX practice and our approach to the work, check us out online at vmlyr.com slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or shoot us an email. The show's email address is humancentered.com at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.